0: following message was recorded at bethlehem baptist church in minneapolis minnesota more information can be found online at bethlehem.church happy new year everyone 2021 lies ahead of us and we don't know what the year will bring we stood in the same spot this time last year not knowing what 2020 would bring Maybe you're looking ahead with expectation of good things coming. Maybe you're shipping off to new adventures. Maybe you're getting ready to say vows to the person that you love. Maybe you're anticipating a new life coming into your family. Maybe you're celebrating your 16th birthday today. Could be. Maybe somebody is. (laughs) Maybe you're looking ahead at 2021 and you're wondering... Will it be like last year? Maybe last year was hard. It was hard for many of us. Maybe you're looking ahead and anticipating it could be bad, it could be worse. So this is the one thing we must do together as a people. We pray expectant prayers that our great God who is on the throne will meet us in 2021. It's my hope that you will pray with us. There's prayer guides in the back by the info desk. There's a prayer guide online. Join us in prayer at noon, Monday through Friday, in the morning on Friday, and from 6 to 9 for our night of prayer on Friday evening. We commit ourselves to prayer just like the early disciples did. forgot to take this down. Sorry, somebody's signaling. It's a Bethlehem thing. You got to take it off. We commit ourselves to prayer just like the early disciples did. 2020 was a very momentous year. Imagine what 33 AD or thereabouts was. Think about what you were doing 60 days ago. This is January 3rd. 60 days ago was November 3rd, election day. How much has changed? Think about what you were doing six months ago. Six months ago was just before the 4th of July where everybody thought, there's not going to be any fireworks. And then, like, everybody bought out all the fireworks everywhere and blew them all up in all of our neighborhoods. Think about that. Six months ago, two months ago, it reminds us that what's taking place here in Acts 3 and 4, where we are in the book of Acts, is taking place somewhere between two and six months after the disciples watched Jesus die. Let's just get ourselves inside their mindset for a second. You're Peter, People come to take Jesus, and you pull out your sword, and you chop off the high priest's servant's ear, and Jesus heals it. You watch Jesus taken away to be executed, and then he is executed. One of the disciples takes his body in mourning and pain and buries it, and you spend 24 hours sad, more than sad, destroyed. And Then you go to visit his grave the next day, and it's empty. There's a hole in the ground. What would that do to you? Oh, and then Jesus appears to you, not just once, but repeatedly. And doesn't just appear to, like, you and your buddy, but he appears to hundreds of people for 40 days. Peter, who went from, not your will be done, Jesus, but my will for you probably expected Jesus to walk with an army all the way to Rome, kill Caesar, and come back in a triumphal entry to Jerusalem. That wasn't the triumphal entry that Peter got. Peter got Jesus on a donkey, lowly. And then Peter didn't get Jesus on the throne of King David. He got him enthroned on a cross. Imagine what that would have been like just two months ago, all of that happened. His final words to Peter and to the rest of the disciples before they leave, before he leaves, is this. You will receive power. Wait for him, the Spirit, to come. Then just a few days after Jesus' ascension, as you've prayed, prepared, and waited, he does. He fills the place where you are, and miracles start happening. First, in different languages being spoken, and then here in our text, people being healed. What would that do to you? Would you be amazed? Would you, like Peter, shift in your mindset to fighting for kin and country, to instead the king and his kingdom? And this is what we saw last week. Peter and John standing in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and in the power of the Spirit, in the face of threats, they preach the gospel. In the midst of our exhaustion and distraction from 2020, what would it take for 2021 to be marked by this for us? I'm going to pray. We're going to launch into the text together. Father, help me now. Help me to be clear and help our hearts as a rallying cry this year to start with prayer. To not move in our own strength or our own power, but to start with prayer. Because we need your power, as has always been the case. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point, chapter 4, verse 13 through 22, bold witness, leads to persecution. Let's just recap how we got here. John, Peter, they're in the temple. It's the middle of the afternoon. There's a man, lamb from birth, who's sitting at the gate. And they walk by. He's asking for money. They ain't got no money. So they instead give him something way better. Look at me, Peter says. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he does. He does. He does. He gets up and starts walking. So crowds gather and Peter takes the opportunity to preach a message from Deuteronomy 18 telling them that Moses predicted that a great prophet would come and that prophet has come. His name is Jesus and he came and died and rose and reigns right then when Peter is preaching so that all of Israel will turn from their wickedness. Big crowds and important places draw a lot of eyes, and so the captain of the temple guard comes out. What's up? We don't know how aware the Jewish authorities were of this new movement, but certainly some were aware of something going on. More on that in a second. So after they preach, they're thrown into jail overnight, and then, as Dave preached last week, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, to be heard. And Peter gets filled up with the Spirit, and he turns and he preaches this message from Psalm 118 where just like they killed Jesus and he looks at them and he says, you killed Jesus. He's two people in the middle of this ruling council of dozens and dozens of people with guards surrounding them. He tells them they rejected and killed their own Messiah. He alone who can bring salvation from sins and the coming wrath of God. And so the council in response makes a demand. Look with me at the text chapter 4, verse 13. They make a demand, stop speaking about Jesus. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They were astonished. Or the text, uh, different translations say amazed or marveled, other things like that. What, What was the nature of this marveling? Well, look with me in verse 13. The expectation seems to be that there was this disparity. Here's these uneducated men. Uneducated men don't tend to be bold. It's the educated. But here they are, and they're bold. They're bold to speak for Jesus. Do you see that in verse 13? I think perhaps it's better to say that in the Sanhedrin's mind, they had not been educated. But they had been. Been with Jesus for years. In Luke 24, Jesus had opened their minds to understand how the Old Testament spoke about him. And then for 40 days, Jesus was preparing them and teaching them. And then they had received the Spirit of God. If you stand here on the cusp of 2021 and look forward and say, I don't know that I can be bold in speaking, speaking about Jesus. You can. You can. Because it's not by education. It's not by the right arguments. It's by the power of the Spirit and prayer that you can speak out. Seminarians, we've got several of you guys here. Praise God that you get to go to seminary. Praise God, that's wonderful. Praise God you get to go to Bethlehem College. Lord, make all of their time in seminary and in college work together for good. And if you don't have the Spirit of God with you relying on him, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. We must have the Spirit of God. Yes, do research on good arguments for your faith. Yes, it's even better to read good books. Best to go and read your Bible, hear the very voice of God, but it's of no effect if the Spirit of Jesus isn't with you. You know these names. Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Kempton Turner. Men with no formal education in the Bible and greatly used by God, wonderfully used by God. Now note, two here, the Sanhedrin recognized that they had been with Jesus. Here's these two men, both of whom, if you remember, at the end of the Gospel narratives, had been with Jesus, or at least at the high priest's palace, Peter outside, John inside, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. So at least some of the authorities knew who Peter and John were, but maybe initially they were passed off as just a couple of guys ranting and raving in the temple courtyard. But they're not just a couple of guys. Peter and John watched Jesus get arrested, watched Jesus get killed, and at least the high priest and his son and probably a few others in the Sanhedrin know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead. The guards in Matthew 28 told them. Just think about that, all right? Tons of messiahs, in the first century and just before Jesus came in the first century B.C. They got killed by the Romans or by the Jews and everybody scattered. Movement was done. Not the case here. Not the case here. What kind of unbelief would it take if you're sitting there in the Sanhedrin and they're saying Jesus is alive and you killed him? You're like, yeah, probably. The body is gone and we bribed the guards to keep it quiet. What kind of unbelief, what kind of control, what kind of power would you be craving to say, be quiet? And this goes as far back, think about um, John 12, I think it's John 12, 41 or 42. Many of the authorities believed in Jesus' name while he was preaching them, but for fear of the Pharisees, they would not profess him openly. How deceitful is the fear of man when it comes to, to proclaiming our king. What do you do when your power is threatened by these followers of a rabbi who called you out on your corruption? Well, you tell them, shut up. It's exactly what they do here. Better not spread any further. 3,000 people in Acts 2, 5,000 people and more women and children here in Acts 4. Who knows where it will stop? It's a full-on threat to their idol of power. And note too that they accepted the sign or rather that a sign had actually happened. The healed guy was standing right there, but they rejected the message that accompanied it. They saw the man who was healed standing there and they hold back making a more severe judgment and instead keep the, decide to keep the message quiet instead. So let's just illustrate this for a second. Like, let's take into consideration what the disciples were thinking. Put it on one side of a scale of their consideration. They watched Jesus be killed They are being threatened by the ruling authority of their day. Put it on another side of the scale. Over there, they're being threatened. They've seen Jesus killed. They've been with Jesus for years. Jesus was killed, and then they saw him not stay dead. Then they've seen miracles happen through the ministry that they're doing. What would you do? Somebody's like, people that killed Jesus, like, you need to be quiet. Shh really? I'm going to be quiet when I've seen my king get up from the dead? Really? You're going to ask me to be quiet about this? Put it on. Same kind of analogy for your life. What's on one side of the scale that feels intimidating, that pushes you in the direction of, I don't want to open my mouth about Jesus? What is it? You're told not to proselytize, not to share your faith at work or in the military. You're told that You shouldn't talk about religion and politics around Christmas table. What's on the other side of the scale? Your king is alive. He is alive and reigning and promised grace and help in time of need. And you can, in confidence with no true threat to yourself, speak out about him. And that's what the disciples do here. This is their reply. Can't stop, won't stop. Talking about Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 19. Look at how these so-called uneducated but spirit-filled men reply. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Man, hear the certainty. Hear even kind of some sanctified sarcasm here. Well, you tell us whether God thinks it would be better to listen to him or to you. This is an important progression in just how we need to think about our faith. Is it better to listen to God or to the voices in our culture that say, be quiet. For them, who are they going to listen to? The pretenders who just have a little bit of power and are like, they're holding on to it? They can't even keep God dead. Who can? Or will they listen to the living God who works miracles? He said, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They've seen it. They've heard it themselves. They're certain. The Sanhedrin can believe whatever they want is about what's true. Or even for some of them, they know what's true, and they still want them to be quiet. But Peter and John know for certain that it's true. They've seen the risen Christ. Maybe it is that in 2020, 2021, and just your, mar- your life as a whole, it's been marked by not speaking out about Jesus because you're not that certain you're not that certain that he really did rise from the dead. Or if you're convinced it's true, there's a lot of fear there. What will it cost me? Maybe you think, it's not as certain as what I can see and hear the day-to-day life, where there's so many distractions. Oh, that we might pray in 2021, if that's the case for us, for my own heart too, that that would change. Because the fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose, and reigns changes everything my parenting, my work, friendships, our neighboring, our schooling. It might be that your doubts about who Jesus really is stronger than you think, because what we really believe we act upon, we act upon. Now while, Jesus, uh, while Peter and John have been in jail, there's been thousands of new converts. There's been praise to God in the temple court, and the disciples, look at this. The disciples don't turn around and say, like, "Well, Whether um, it's right to listen to you or not, go listen to the crowds outside, Sanhedrin. What do you think they're going to say? They don't cite, they don't hope for that they're going to win the majority of support in Jerusalem, have their release secured, anything like that. It's a simple equation. Regardless of persecution or praise, we do this one thing. Jesus is who he said he was, and that means he's alive, and that means we are his witnesses. If you're here, you're not convinced that's true. You have to wrestle with the claims of Jesus. Your very life depends on it. Maybe you visited during Christmas. Maybe you tuned in during Christmas, during Advent season, and you're wondering, well, what is this church about in the new year? Same thing as before. The good news that Jesus Christ really did die in our place, really did rise from the dead, and really is reigning right now and always. And that means he's who he he said he was, and you have to give account to him as your creator and the only one who offers salvation from the wrath of God that is coming. Give up your idolatry over your own control, over your own perception of the world, and yield to Jesus. Maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you've visited repeatedly. Maybe you're a kid. You've grown up in church. You hear a lot of truth. hear a lot of stuff said by parents, by church, Let me cut through the noise. What will you do with Jesus, the Son of God, the one declared and proven to be so by the resurrection of the dead? I know lots of kids that have grown up in church in the many years that I've been a pastor at different places, and they they treat oftentimes their Christianity not even like a buffet. They treat it like they're in the wrong restaurant. Walk into Chipotle, ask for a tortilla, and go run over to Subway. Put some stuff in this. Some stuff in this. That I'm, I'm, it's not like a Chipotle versus Subway illustration. That's like, maybe you love Subway. Whatever. It's the disparity in the analogy, okay? It's, they, they want Christianity to be the wrapping around the other stuff that they truly want, right? Jesus won't suffer that. There's no get-out-of-hell-free card in Jesus' world, in our world, without he's my Lord, he's my treasure, he's my everything. You have to come to grips with who he is. He is the only one who offers you a path of life beyond your college, beyond marriage, beyond retirement, beyond death. Will you wrestle with who he is? So we've seen here in this first point, this first section, that the council is threatening them, they refuse to stop, and they've been sent home. Then we get to our second point. Persecution gives way to prayer for power to be bold. So what would you do? You've just been threatened. You've been thrown in jail. You're let out of jail. You're threatened like, stay quiet. That would probably be pretty intense. I want to go home and do something to unwind for a little while. Well, what do Peter and John do? They come back and they pray. And they don't pray in light of their shifting earthly circumstances. They pray in light of their one sure heavenly circumstance. Jesus was ascended at God the Father's right hand. Look with me at chapter four, verse twenty-three. They glanced back at past grace. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, "Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, th- who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit." Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They pray in accord with their belief and the fact that God is sovereign over all things, including the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's the creator of all, the rightful ruler of all, the one who everybody is foolish to rebel against, and he planned their rebellion. He planned that they would rebel. The cross was no accident, no surprise to God. It was the plan from eternity. They gathered together thinking, we're going to kill this upstart, this Jesus when God was in the heavens, as Psalm 2 goes on to say, laughing. Laughing. Laughing at them. His son became killable, as was the plan all along. Notice the progression in prayer. They acknowledge God as the one who created all things, he's the rightful ruler, and then they quote Psalm 2. Notice what the content is of their prayer. You ever wonder, like, man, how can I pray according to the will of God? Pray the Bible. Open up the Bible and pray the Bible. You can be certain that you're praying according to God's will as you pray the Scriptures. So this psalm that originally highlighted the vanity, the futility of resisting God and his anointed king is here being applied not to King David, but to King Jesus. As the anointed one of God, he was to be feared and bowed down to. All the nations are supposed to go to him for salvation. And those who resisted him, man, it's the exact opposite side of that coin. They'd be cut down. Are you convinced of this, that God the Father in heaven, with Jesus ruling at his right hand, Son of God and the Spirit in heaven and on earth in some mysterious, triune way, is laughing, laughing at attempts to snuff out the church, laughing at attempts to exalt humanity to God-likeness, laughing at gatherings of agendas that stand against him? The quote of Psalm 2 serves for them, and I think for us, that we should be convinced the sovereignty of God was not a one-time event where God grabbed the sovereignty dial in heaven and dialed it all the way up. He's always sovereign. And that's why they continue and pray. With the focus forward in future grace, look with me at chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is thick trust. They knew that God was the one who gave them power to be bold, so they asked for more. Give me more, God. Give us more. It's what the ruling council saw in Peter and John in verse 13. And now they asked for more of it. Give us more boldness. How could they do this? They'd been given a promise, right? Acts 1.8, you will receive power, So you can be my witnesses all the way to the end of the earth. The statement in the next section, just the next um, sermon that Dave's going to preach next week, chapter 4, verse 33, is that the apostles with great power were testifying. They were speaking about the resurrection of the dead. Here in our text, you see the power they're asking for themselves. They're not saying, look at this. I mean, it's right here in the text. They're not saying, give us power to heal people. They're not saying, give us power to work miracles. They're saying, give us power to be bold while you do those things. Do you see that? Their portion is to be faithful in speaking boldly in the power of the Spirit. The power, the motivation, the security is not with those that look like they have the power, the motivation, and the security. It's those who have the trust in the promises of God to continue to do what he promised and who keep coming back for more grace to be bold. Just consider this from the Sanhedrin's perspective. Again, every other Messiah that had died, the movement scatters. Not the case here. In fact, these two common men show up on your front porch saying, accusing rightly that you have killed the Messiah. Consider again the depths of blindness that the Sanhedrin would have been on and consider the glorious power that was granted to these disciples. So regardless of persecution in the church, in the book of Acts, where they had seeming setbacks, or regardless of praise for the church, where they had stunning successes, they kept coming back to God for more grace. Dave quoted John 6 at the end of the sermon last week. Where else can we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. And this is the watchword for his followers at all times. We keep coming back. We keep coming back. We keep coming back, uh, Dave. This morning you're watching. I, I thought of this; he'll appreciate this. Whether persecuted or praised, they persevered in prayer. Thought you might appreciate that. I wrote it down here, and that's exactly what the disciples did. And God answered. Point three: answered prayer for power leads to bold witness. It keeps repeating. Chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The gathered saints pray. The gathered saints are filled. The gathered saints go and speak. Repeat. The gathered saints pray. The gathered saints are filled. The gathered saints go and speak. Repeat. Repeat. God answered their prayer, and he'll keep answering. So first, they pray. The content is everything we saw in the second point, and it's a big, bold prayer in light of everything they believe to be true about God. The sovereignty of God compels them to pray not for their circumstances to be changed, not for that to happen. They pray this one thing, look on their threats. Man, can you imagine somebody praying that about you? Look on their threats. God, take count. Write it down. But then they don't say, make it stop. Just keep praying. Give us boldness. Remember our persecutions and give us boldness to not stop. And then, they're filled. Dave talked about this when we preached in, uh, through chapter 2. We believe that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event but a continuous action the Spirit does. It's even a command that we're called to obey. When God wants to equip His people for ministry, He fills them up with the Spirit. Not a one-time thing, but a repeated especially because of texts like Ephesians 5.18, where being filled is a clear, ongoing command. And not being filled with the Spirit, like uh, in, a, in an analogy that I've used before, like being filled with the Spirit is like, you're a bucket and there's water to pour into you. And I say, Kidman, go get the hose and fill the bucket with water. But an instrument, when I say, Kidman, go fill the bucket with the hose, I don't mean like chop up the hose and you know, put it inside the instrument. The Spirit fills us, not like you don't have enough of God, and you need more of Him, but like He's filling us up with His grace. He's filling us up with boldness. He's filling us up with whatever we need, and in that, we experience more of Him, for sure. We experience way more of Him, but it's not as though there's a couple different versions of Christianity, the people that really get it because they really have God, and the people that don't quite have it yet because God's kind of hanging out on the outside. Man, man, What belittling the work of Christ when we think that way about what he's done in the atonement. You've got all of God that you need, Bethlehem, and you can experience more of him in the filling of the Spirit. How is this possible? How can such a holy God be sure to hear us? How can we have confidence to enter into the holy of holies? Listen to the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. He tells us, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the day drawing near, Bethlehem? Maybe in 2021? You can have confidence to enter in the presence of God in prayer and pray big, bold prayers for your neighbors, the nations, and for your own heart. Because Jesus' sacrifice was really accepted by God the Father. And there is no hindrance to your prayers. There's been a path paved all the way to God's throne. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. He who promised is faithful. In conclusion, 2020, for many of us, was a hard year. Maybe harder on some than others. Maybe it wasn't hard on you. What will 2021 bring? We don't know. Maybe the best thing will happen. Jesus will return. That's the best for those of us that profess Christ. But for you this morning, if you're here and you do not believe in the name of the only Son of God, that would be the worst thing for you if Jesus came back. It would be. Today is the day of salvation. You can still turn from your sin and to Jesus. Talk to your neighbor about it. Go out there in the bitter cold in a little while and uh, man, that'll that'll warm your heart. Probably not enough with how cold it is out there. But... Maybe Jesus will return. Maybe this pandemic is going to go on. Maybe our political life here in America is going to get more chaotic, not less chaotic. One thing we should be committed to doing and we ought to do together is pray big, bold prayers for our hearts in this season of life and big, bold prayers that we, whatever other things might take place this year, we would speak boldly the name of Jesus. Who or what will stand in the way? What intimidates you? Is it a piece of paper that you signed promising you wouldn't bring up religion at work? Is it the pressure of school where religion seems off-limits and I best not talk about it? Is it the soured relationship in your family where it's just, it's off-limits now? Maybe it's your own cowardice and compromise where you've brought shame on Jesus and the gospel and other people know it and you're like, I can't speak up about it. They know that I've I've been hypocritical. In this, there is one answer. This does not break any of your fellowship with God. You can go to him in prayer. Jesus has paved a way for you to pray, and you can pray for boldness, and the Spirit will fill you to be bold. In this chapter, we've seen repeated instances of boldness. Peter and John were bold. The Sanhedrin took note in verse 13. They specifically asked for more boldness in their prayer in verse 29, and they were granted that prayer and continued speaking with boldness in verse 31. Next time boldness shows up in the book of Acts is, if you're reading your Greek New Testament, the second to last word in the Greek text of Acts is this word, boldness. And it's connected with the ministry of Paul in Rome. Paul had been imprisoned in Rome, the very heart of the Roman Empire, the superpower in the first century. He's waiting for years in a long line of people to be tried by Caesar Nero as a Roman citizen. And this is something that God has planned for him. And he's planned and plotted too. This has been his ambition for at least the previous 10 chapters, the last 10 chapters of Acts, to get to Rome to preach the gospel to Caesar. He's used his Roman citizenship as a way to get there. And now, surprisingly, as a prisoner under house arrest there in Rome, he's given loads of freedom. Loads of freedom. This is Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. So Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. How did the gospel reach us? How did it reach us, Bethlehem? Because God strung together by grace a long line of people who were filled with the Spirit and spoke boldly, whether they were hindered or not, whether there were accompanying signs or not, and finally it's reached us. And now that chain is going to continue into 2021. You're part of that story, and it all starts with prayer. What will the next 60 days look like until March 3rd? What will the next six months look like until July 3rd? We want to pray together that we might be filled, that we as individuals would go Boldness, and we together as a church would go in boldness and speak the name of Jesus in 2021. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church.com or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.